Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life Over Coffee. I am Rick Thomas. I had someone write in and ask one of the more complicated questions that you will ever be asked. I'll just read it to you, and then you'll understand why I say that. A lady wrote in, and she said, How do you answer a friend who is not a Christian? But searching when she asks, Why God let my baby die? The grief is seemingly insurmountable, and not having a relationship with God adds a layer of complexity. I'm unsure what to say to her other than to be a friend. What would you say to her? What advice do you have for me? Now, this question is one of the most difficult ones that you will answer, but we do know that God's Word has an answer. And so I want to share with you five things that I believe will help this distraught lady. These are the five things that I shared with my friend. And by the way, if you have a question for us and you're not a supporting member of our ministry and so you don't have access to our private forums, that's just fine. Just write in your question and you can flatten it out. There's no names here. There's no geographical location. Just flatten it out and ask your question and perhaps I can construct uh, some show notes and do a podcast like what I'm doing here as well as this video. Now, if you want to find where I, the, uh, if you want to read the things that I'm sharing with this lady, just go to episode 444, and the title of it is Five Responses to Why Did God Let My Baby Die? Now, before I get into these five responses, I have a few preliminary thoughts. Now, the first one is, and I'm just calling it crafted care. You're going to have to customize the care that you bring to this person. And, and and that goes to anybody that you are discipling. If you read something on our website that walks through how to answer a question, I don't want any of you to take that and just map it over that person that you are talking to. And so I would not recommend parroting what I'm about to share with you verbatim to anyone who is suffering. I am speaking to you as a Christian, presumably as a Christian leader. I do not know this lady whose child has died, so I am just giving you some ideas. But each person is different, and so you will have to factor in the maturity, the wisdom, the stability, and a few other things as you carefully bring God's truth to her. And so your two main call to action points are compassion and competence. And so you care for her in a compassionate way, but you'll have to bring customized care to her, which requires a level of competence as you help her through this just devastating loss of life. And so I am just going to give bullet points here, but again, please Please hear me. I don't want you to map this over or just say it in a parrot-like uh, fashion because it does need competence, but we want to do it in a compassionate way. Now, I also want to speak to where we are as a culture because when you get into a devastating situation like this, there can be a fundamental tension between what is theologically accurate and what is psychologically comfortable. 
And unfortunately, and I'm not speaking specifically to this lady who is hurting, again, you will have to factor all these things in as you care for her. But what I do know is that we live in a modern culture where emotional comfort and psychological preferences sometimes don't fit within a theological framework. There's some things about the Bible that are very hard. I mean, look at the first chapter of Job. God is permitting suffering in this individual's life. Look at any primary character in the Old Testament and the New Testament as far as that matters. And you will see that there are some hard things that happen to them that discomfort their psychological well-being. But what happens in our modern culture is that we put a primacy on psychological well-being and because there's such a primacy on it that we can rewrite our theology in order to accommodate our feelings and that is something that we cannot do. There are times when theological precision collides with emotional comfort, and that is what's happening here. Emotionally, she is being discomfited for obvious reasons. She lost a child. And there are some hard theological understandings that she will have to come to terms with. And if she is a postmodern child where she puts psychological feelings and emotional stability as the primary thing, it will be hard to listen to difficult theological truths. For example, Peter ran into this tension when he rebuked the Lord. The theological necessity of Christ dying on the cross did not accommodate Peter's psychological emotional preferences. You see, Peter wanted to feel good about the situation regardless of what theology called for. And so in Peter's case, his psychological wants required rewriting sound theology. And of course, that necessitated a rebuke from Jesus. Jesus says, no, there is a hard theological truth here, and I am going to suffer profoundly And that is not even psychologically comforting for me as we read in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus' emotional stability and psychological wants did not trump sound theology. And so you have a difficult thing here where her emotional and psychological preferences are going to collide with some very hard theology. And you'll have to wrestle that down in your own mind to be able to communicate it in a compassionate and competent way. And so number one, crafted care. I'm saying hard things here, difficult things, challenging things. And so you will have to craft that to the person that you're talking to. Number two, you have to recognize the tension between sound theology and psychological well-being. And theology must come first, even though it, it renders us in a psychological unstable state. And then number three, there is mysterious sovereignty, and that flows right out of this theological tension that we're talking about here with the death of a child. And so let's begin with the most complex truth. One of the essential aspects of personal suffering is how to think about God when grief comes. 
To miss this aspect of suffering is to mishandle and misunderstanding, misunderstand what is happening to you because God is in this lady's suffering. God is permitting this lady's suffering. You see, suffering can be a means of grace to help us to rethink how we think about God, to help us realign our psychological preferences and our our theological needs to get them in the right sequence. If our focus is more on our suffering and our psychological needs than God, who is allowing it, then it will be essential to realign her thinking, our thinking about God and about suffering which is what you hope to accomplish with this lady. God has to be first and foremost. And the sovereignty, the mysterious sovereignty in this situation will be complex, but it's something that you will have to help her to wrestle through. Now, I am not suggesting that you say these things to her, but I am trying to give you a worldview as you care for her. And so there are five points, there's five things, and that's the title of this podcast episode uh, that I want to address in the remainder of this, of what I'm presenting to you. And so part of what is going on here is that the Lord is drawing her to himself, which is why she's asking the most important question of all, why did God allow her child to die? It also appears that if she is asking you, even though she is unregenerate, that she has some trust that has accrued between you and and her. So you have a relational bridge that is pre-existing. Now, I don't know how fortified that bridge is, and that's why you want to have crafted care as you carry these theological hard truths, heavy truths over to her because it will challenge her like nothing else has ever challenged her. And so here are the five points that I want to work through for your consideration. I'll share them with you, and then I'll break out each one of them one by one in this order. Number one, the silence of God. Number two, the courage that you're going to need. Number three, the questions that she is asking. Number four, the guilt that she may have. And then number five, the belief or the trust that she will need. And so these are the five things that I want you to consider in addition to uh, my brief introduction. So let's talk about the silence of God. Is it possible for the Lord to be up to something good that can only come about through suffering? Here's one of those hard theological truths. Could the dark pain that she is going through today be the tapestry the Lord will use to show you the beauty of his plans for her? Well, we know the answers to those questions. These are good truths to consider as she reflects on his mysterious and good intentions for people. One of the more significant issues to ponder during times of suffering is the silence of God. And you'll hear it in questions like, where is God? Where was God? 
Why did God allow this to happen? She's coming to you and asking those questions because God is silent. She doesn't have answers. Now, there is good, there's a good point to be made here in the fact that she's asking you because you are a Christian. And so there is a God awareness. And so she doesn't know how to wrestle these things out herself, and so she's coming to you because she wants to hear from the Lord. Why does the Lord not tell her the plans that he has for her? Why does he have to be silent? Now, silence is not a negative thing. In fact, silence does not mean that there is a lack of leadership happening here. I know leadership is verbal. There's no doubt about that. God leads us by His Word. His Word, He speaks. And so leadership, and to lead well, we must be verbal. But leadership can also be silent, too. Just because God is not speaking, it would be wrong to assume that He is not leading. It's both and. It's a talking God and it's a a silent God because there are times when the Lord needs to choose silence over speaking. The book of Job talks about the silence of God. In fact, it is the silence of God on this very matter that is leading her to you so that you can care for her. God's silence is leading her. And now you have the opportunity. And so she needs to understand that God appears to be silent, but actually God is working because she is moving in the right direction. And even in that, there is hope. So number one, the silence of God. Number two, the courage that you need. Now, no question that that this is this is discipleship on, on a high-end level, and it requires a sturdy soul. You have to be sturdy to step into this counseling. And I'm not saying that every Christian can do this. And you may come to the conclusion that, that you're not sturdy enough because this is too hard and too complex, and I don't know how to craft a, a care plan for this person, and that's okay. Being honest about your limitations would be a huge benefit for her. And so you pray for her and then find someone that can come alongside her. But remember that the Lord is a multitasker. And so the question, her question is going to challenge your theology and how you think about and how you walk with God. You'll have to guard your heart as you seek to care for her heart And that's why I'm saying it requires a sturdy soul because you can be overcome by what is happening to her. It happens often when we see people go through traumatic times that we are not able to steward what we are observing. And so maybe seeking guidance from others would be a benefit for you to help shore you up as you move through this, as you navigate this discipleship opportunity. Now coming to us... And asking this question, I trust that what I'm sharing with you will will help to give you that fortification to be able uh, to help her. And so seeking guidance from others, trust the Lord to guide you through this. 
And again, he will give you the courage, and I'm making the assumption that you have the competency to be able to step in it. And so build your own team, a small team, but people that you can rely on as we are helping you here, and then just bombard the gates of heaven and say, dear God, help fortify me so that I can come alongside and and I trust to fortify her. And so you have the silence of God, point number one. Point number two is the courage that you need to step into this. And then number three, and this will be a longer section because it's the questions, the question that she is asking. And there's a lot of questions. She's asking one, why did God allow my child to die? But inside of that question, it is just pregnant with so many others. And so one thing that I do want to ask you not to do is don't apologize for God. Don't defend him. You can overlook the accusation that is laced within her question. Why did God allow my child to die? There's a little bit of an accusation in there, but you can just overlook that. A lot of times when people are hurting, you just have to let them hurt and emote in the way that they need to emote, but you can overlook that because, again, uh, they're struggling and they are they are truly hurting in this situation and so don't don't apologize for God don't defend him and 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 don't be don't let her offense trip you up you need to speak the truth about God and part of the truth about God is that there is a call to suffer on our lives and again I've talked about that briefly already we see that throughout the primary characters in Scripture that there is a all people who do things for God go through some level of suffering, and that is the call on our lives. And so you don't apologize for him. You don't need to defend him. But you, and you also have to carefully speak these hard truths that there, there is an element of suffering that comes to all of our lives. And she's human. Uh, she is part of the curse of Adam. I mean, sin has come upon all men, and and people die. Old people will die. Young people may die. But it's not a promise that young people will live into old age, the curse of Adam. When I say that, I'm not saying that she has done anything wrong, that she has sinned. She's just born to a fallen race, and because of that, there is a possibility that some people will die young. And you also will have to deal with part of her question that's laced in it is fear, shame, guilt, a temptation to blame, like there may be some lacing of blame to God, as I mentioned. There's hopelessness. There's lostness. She's afraid to be vulnerable. She's afraid to be transparent. And so you want to make a list of these things and think how they apply to her. Fear, shame, guilt, temptation to blame, hopelessness, lostness, afraid to be vulnerable, afraid to be transparent. What I'm saying here is that this lady is absolutely normal. She's just like you. She's just like me. She wants to know why her baby died. And it's not a wrong question. It makes sure that she knows that, that she's she's not asking the wrong question. Question. She's asking the, the right question. It is easy for suffering people to take on a false sense of guilt, even with the questions that they ask. 
And there could be a temptation to accuse God about things that they don't understand. In this case, it's impossible to fully understand why this is happening to her. And you want to be honest with that yourself. I mean, the obvious answer for you, at least one of the answers that you're going to give her, I don't know. I do not know why God permitted your child to die, why this has been allowed. Any person in her situation would ask the God question, but there's also an element of mystery in the God question. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says that there are things that we know and there are things that we do not know. And when you come to the end of the road and there is a stop sign there, you just have to stop and you cannot go any farther. And so she's at that place at the end of the road and she's wanting more answers than what is available to any of us. Where was God when all this went down? This is a typical question, and typically after the question is asked and answered, the person is going to continue to struggle because there is not a single answer that's going to make her feel better. I mean, ultimately the answer is is that we live in a fallen world and bad things happen to people, and that's not going to satisfy her, but that is what's at the end of the road. Most of the time, People are unsatisfied with God's answers. We kind of hear this in Isaiah 55. God's ways are transcendent. They are above our ways. Uh, His thoughts are above our thoughts. And so the answer to her question, God was there when all this went down. Sometimes the question asker would prefer to think that God was not there And after she realizes that he was there, the next obvious question is, why didn't he do something about it? And you must guard her heart as as you walk her through a sound theology of suffering. This is that collision of theological precision with psychological comfort. That's going to be hard for her because she wants her theology to comfort her psychologically, and a sound theology of suffering just will not do that all the time. To think God allows sin and suffering into our lives is hard for any of us to accept. Now, I suspect that she will have a weak view of suffering and sovereignty. This lack of awareness is where the gospel can be most profound in her life. To think it was the will of the Lord to crush his son is quite stunning. And we read that in Isaiah 53:10. This is why Jesus rebuked Peter. Jesus knew that he came to die. It was the will of God to crush Jesus Christ. When Peter heard that news, psychologically, it was uncomfortable to him. And Jesus had to rebuke him because this is how it has to be because there is a greater good that is happening. And so it's okay to say that you don't have all the answers. Not knowing something does not have to keep you from trusting something This chair that I'm sitting on, I do not understand the molecular structure of this chair and how there's molecules all around me, and then there's a a coagulation of molecules that make up this chair that I'm sitting on. I don't understand how that works, but by faith, I can sit in this chair and knowing that it's going to be okay. 
we will never fully encompass omniscience. And so not knowing all the answers of what is going on in her life with the death of this child does not mean that she cannot trust God. We know, as we understand a theology of suffering, that sometimes hard suffering is essential for a greater good in our lives. And again, that will not be psychologically comforting, but it is theologically accurate. And so appeal to her to think biblically about things, seeking to turn what Satan meant for evil into something good. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. This could be her talking at some future date. I don't want you to be unaware, my friends, of what happened to my baby. For I was utterly burdened beyond my strength that I despaired of life itself. Indeed, I felt that I had received the sentence of death. But the death of my child, it was God working in me, teaching me, making me not to rely on myself, but to rely on God who raises the dead. And as horrible as this affliction was, there was a greater good. And part of that greater good is God was breaking me of my own self-reliance, teaching me to rely on Him. This is what Paul was teaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And so the most profound questions... Now, I want to tread very carefully here. Go back to what I said earlier. You just don't want to parrot what I'm saying here to her because she is grieving. And so I am giving you a primer of how to care care for someone going through the most horrendous circumstance that she may ever experience. And I am giving you a, a, long, a long process of answering several questions, but some of these questions and some of these things that you say, she won't be ready for them right now. And so I'm going through the whole process, but you will only use parts of this as you navigate her down this path. But some of the hard questions are this, will you follow God if he only gives you what you want? Now, that's a question that we all have to wrestle with. Think about it. I mean, think about your own life. I will follow God as long as I get what I want. Well, we know that can't be true. It's not even rational. If the Lord gave everybody what they wanted, how would that even work? And what kind of world would we have? How does Romans 5.12 factor into this discussion, talking about the fallenness of humanity? Sin came upon one man, and all men have sin, and we are slowly wasting away, as Paul says. Old people will die. Young people may die. It is a part of our circumstance. Do we get to pick and choose when people die? Remember, these are hard questions that you will not be asking on the front end of your care for her but I'm giving you a broader framework of care. How does distinguishing between primary and secondary causes factor into this situation? What I mean is God is the primary causal agent who sovereignly rules and omnipotently reigns over everything. Nothing is outside of his purview. Nothing is outside of his power. He is the primary mover. He's the primary cause agent. We are secondary minor players, actors on the stage of the narrative that he is writing. We have, we have primary cause and we have secondary cause. Would you want to follow a God who is not sovereign over all things? 
in a fallen world. But as I say that, then there is complexity in this fallen world. And these are some of the questions that you will have to deal with as you walk her through this. I would recommend that you get episode 444 and, and, and print it off, the show notes, what I'm sharing with you, and then just make those uh, right in the side of the, on the side of the paper and, and just make copious notes and then develop a long-term plan to care for this distraught lady. And so I talked about uh, the silence of God. I talked about your courage. And then I talked about her question as I began to tease it out in a multifactorial way. And now number four is, is her guilt. And when I say that, I'm not saying that she's, she's the cause of this. I'm not saying that at all. That's all. <laughs> I'm not even in that universe. But there will be an element of guilt here because, again, she's like you, she's like me. We're Adamic people. And so there can be a sense of guilt, shame, and fear, that complex. And so you want to listen to her while being ready to bring her back to the gospel because she may be thinking that I did something wrong. She may be thinking that God is punishing her. That's what I mean by her guilt. It's not legitimate guilt, but because we feel this sense of shame and guilt and fear, she can begin to think that it is real and that God is angry with her, and so you want to bring her back to the gospel. Give her a clear understanding of Paul's perspective on, on condemnation and judgment and, and fault-finding. And as you listen to her tragic narrative, make sure you don't become bogged down in the narrative. There are two ditches that you have to stay out of. And one of those is never getting out of what happened to her. I mean, you fall into what happened to her, and then you become like her. Uh, you, you, you become empathetic, which is a dangerous way to be. Empathetic counseling is a dangerous and destructive way of counseling. It's jumping into the abyss of her problems, and then you become like her. And you don't have an objective way of, of, of looking at her situation and offering compassionate care, but it's competent care because you're not drowning with her. You want to stay out of that ditch. The other ditch is just to move too quickly down this, what I'm teaching here, and, and teaching sound stuff too soon that can come across harsh or uncaring. And so you want to listen to her story without falling into the ditch, in, into the uh, abyss of her problems. And you want to listen to the story uh, without uh, giving any kind of evidence of uncare or a lack of compassion. And you want to understand her story of what is going on with her. And you want to reinterpret her story biblically. This is what God says. This is how I understand the Bible. This is a theology of suffering. This is who God is and what God can do uh, in your life. Let her tell you all the bad stuff. And you tell her all the good stuff. Ask God to show you when to move forward so that you can lead her. And by all means, you have to lead her to a better place. Jesus listened to the woman at the well so that he could communicate his perspective to her. 
Uh, he didn't say, "Oh my, you you've just you, you've fallen. You have a horrible life here, and I just don't think that there's there's any hope for you." And so he didn't fall into the abyss. And he, it's not that he never moved forward. No, he brought her along without being overcome by what was happening to him. He listened to see where she was, and then he began to bring her to a better understanding of her perspectives about the problem. And so let your friend be appropriately problem-centered. Let her emote with what is happening to her, but lead her to a God-centered way of thinking as you listen to her story. And so this is point number four, her guilt. And let her wrestle through that complex of guilt, fear, and shame, and then lead her along appropriately. And then finally, her trust. Now remember that you cannot connect her suffering to a formula. She may do that. You know, I do good, and good will happen to me. And if I do bad, bad things will happen to me. That is poor theology. The Lord loves her beyond her ability to entirely understand his love for her. His intentions toward her are perfect, loving, just, and unassailable. And she's got to come to that place. And she can't take on this guilt. I, I've done good, but bad happened. That's an accusation to God. I've done bad, and, and bad happened. That's an accusation against herself. No, this thing has happened, and mysteriously, I don't know all the reasons why, but I do know that God loves you beyond your ability to entirely understand his love for you. His intentions toward you are perfect, loving, just, and unassailable. The Lord can do what he pleases, when he pleases, how he pleases, for any reason that pleases him. And he is always right. Everything in our lives should move us into a more profound worship experience with the Lord. The proverb writer said it this way, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so we have gone from... Why did God let my baby die to God can do what he pleases, when he pleases, how he pleases, and he loves you more profoundly than you could ever understand? Now, that is a long journey. That is not one counseling session. It is many weeks and months as she will grieve. And so I have given you a lot to process. I would encourage you to print off episode 444. Five responses to why did God let my baby die. Make notes of this. Listen to the podcast. Watch the video. Read through these show notes. I want to finish with 10 quick things. Number one, seek guidance from others. There is safety in a multitude of counselors. You get help so your soul can stay sturdy through this. Number two, the Spirit will guide you through this. Number three, listen to her story. Let her emote. Let her tell it the way she wants to tell it. Overlook any offenses that you may hear. Number four, don't condemn. 
Number five, weep with her. Number six, her trust in God will hinge upon walking through the complexity of anger and fear and ignorance. Those are faith killers, by the way. You can't trust God and be angry at Him. You can't trust God and be afraid of Him. Of course, you can't trust God and be unaware of or ignorant of Him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by hearing by the Word of God. And so you want to recognize these things that will kill, circumvent, truncate her faith, anger, fear, and and ignorance. If we can help you through this and help you further, I would encourage you to step into our coffee shop, our sanctification number seven, our uh, sanctification center, and 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 take advantage of more resources. and And we would love to engage you more about this because this is a long term journey. Number eight, pray often with her and for her. Number nine, teach her the Bible. And then number ten, do not let her go if at all possible. Love her right to Jesus. Love her well. Those are 10 final thoughts. Episode 444, five responses to why did God let my baby die? Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.